I don't have to tell you how great Judy Bloom is. If you're tuning into this podcast, you probably already know. You might even be a super fan. I mean, it's Judy. It's always a good day when we get to discuss a Judy Bloom book here on the show, and I am happy to report that it's one of those days. On episode 153, my guest and I turn our focus to otherwise known as Sheila the Great, a middle grade novel written by our girl Judy in 1972. Otherwise known as Sheila the Great is part of the beloved Fudge universe, since main character, Sheila Tubman, lives in the same Manhattan apartment building as the Hatcher family, at least until her parents decide that they'll be spending the summer in the burbs. It's around this time that we were introduced to Sheila and her many fears, and the list is long. Dogs, the dark, swimming, sleeping alone, and that is only the beginning. In otherwise known as Sheila the Great, we get to go along for the ride as Sheila navigates these fears in a new environment and with new people around her. Will she overcome them and come into her full greatness? Will she keep trying to hide them? Or will she just own them? We will fill you in on this episode. You will also hear us talk about books as both windows and mirrors and the power that stories have to give us permission to be ourselves. We discuss the childhood memories that come with otherwise known as Sheila the Great. Good ones like summer camp, yo-yos, and the promise of a new pet, and bad ones like slam books and swim tests. My guest has a very special personal connection to this book, and I can't wait for you to hear all about it. One quick trigger warning here. At the very end of the episode, in the book recommendation portion, you'll hear a mention of sexual assault. My guest on episode 153 is Sajda Ali, whose books you can find on shelves under the name S.K. Ali. She is the author of Saints and Misfits, a William C. Morris finalist, winner of the Asian Pacific American Librarians Association Honor Award and Middle East Book Honor Award, and Love from A to Z, a Today Show Read with Jenna book club selection. Both novels were named Best YA Books of the Year by various media, including Entertainment Weekly and Kirkus Reviews. Sajda's new book, Misfit in Love, is now available, and I have no doubt that after getting to know her a bit on this episode, you're going to want to read everything she's ever written. Follow her on Twitter at SajdaWrites and on Instagram at SKAliBooks. After you've finished ordering yourself copies of every SK Ali book out there, come on over and say hey on social media. SSR is at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook at the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast Community. There are so many exciting things happening with our online SSR communities right now and I could go on about them for hours, but let me just give you the quick highlights. Did you know we have two book clubs running right now? We are about halfway through a new month of free book clubs in the SSR Book Club, aka the SSRBC. In July, our fabulous volunteer leaders are facilitating conversations about Bridge to Terabithia and The Princess Diaries. The SSRBC is totally free to join and gives you a taste of what it's like to be a guest on this very podcast. We recently rolled out a Slack option, so even if you're not big on Facebook or Facebook groups, you can still join in on the book club. Learn more at www.ssrpodcast.com slash ssrbookclub or at the link in SSR's Instagram bio. We would love to have you in the club. We are also running a book club exclusive to Patreon sponsors this month. The book is The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris, and even though it's midway through July, you can still join in on the fun. I am leading that book club myself, with questions and thought starters three to four times a week, and then a meeting via Google Hangouts at the end of the month. Plus, as a patron, you get to support this little independent one-woman show of mine and cash in on other great exclusive rewards. Everything from SSR merch and input on book selection to bonus episodes and monthly newsletters. Get all the details and join the Patreon community at www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. If you're already supporting the podcast on Patreon, I hope you know how grateful I am to you. 
As always, I would also love to give a shout out to my friends at Libro FM, who give us the opportunity to support independent bookstores when we shop for audiobooks. This is especially exciting for anyone who doesn't have access to a brick and mortar indie bookstore in their area. You can still support the indies thanks to Libro FM. Plus, SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro FM. Go to Libro FM, that's L I B R O dot F M, and use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old-school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Allie Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Sajda. Welcome to SSR. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here to talk about books with you. So I don't know if you're aware, but you've sort of wandered into a bit of a Judy Bloom fan club here in the SSR community. And <laughs> um, it's kind of a big deal to be talking about another Judy Bloom book. Every time we discuss another Judy Bloom book on the show, I'm like shocked that she has so many books and such a wide variety of books. Yeah. You know, when I was asked to be on the show, I was I was thinking, Judy Bloom, that's what came to me. And then, you know, when I had to real I realized, well, people have probably already spoke about Judy Bloom on the show, obviously. When I looked at it, I didn't see uh, otherwise known as Sheila the Great. I was like, Yes, because this book is so pivotal to pivotal to my just my experience as like uh, you know, in, in school. It's a real key moment in my life revolved around this book. So I'm so happy to talk about it. And I'm grateful that nobody else has. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that worked out really well. So I love when a guest comes on, not only with a book that they are excited to talk about and a book that they read when they were growing up, but when they have a story about the book, which it sounds like you do, would you be willing to share any part of that with us? Would you be willing to share a little bit more about why this book was so pivotal for you? Yes. So this book, I like on reading it again, it pinged what the what the memory that I have around this book. And um, there was this brief time in um in fifth grade, when I had this like, huge sprouting of confidence, because like, even though, you know, I'm entering middle school years, and there's already in fourth grade, I had this like, you know, sort of feeling like I was weird and different, meaning like, you know, I, I was brown, a brown girl, not knowing what, you know, where she fit in into the world that kind of made sure that that I knew that I was different. And so being kind of like feeling awkward and a misfit already. But there was this brief time in fifth grade where I didn't feel like that. And mm. I remember it was like, I read otherwise known as Sheila the Great in fifth grade. And Something like just kind of sparked in me that year where a friend and I, we'd walk, like we made this decision that we were going to just be ourselves. And I had this memory of just like um, my best friend at the time and I just arms around each other, walking down the hall. And this friend had said 
I don't know if this is true, but she had said she should, she'd been to California and learned this new cooler way of talking. And it was the oh early 80s. And so she taught me like Valley Girl talk. And we would like just, you know, whatever I learned from her, we would just like say it so boldly down the halls. And it was like we were trying to make our school cooler. We thought like this was the old way of going viral is to shout things down the, <laughs> the hall. But we were I seriously. Remember, yeah, I just remember going like, gag me with the spoon and gross me out the door. And, <laughs> and like the experiment failed because nobody caught like nobody. Everyone just looked at us like we were weird. But I just remember like this like feeling of confidence and it like it actually like and then we we did like little pranks on like some of the boys who'd make fun of us and we had all this like guttiness in that brief like little time before it started to wane again but um on reading otherwise known as Shield the great again i i saw like where the that freeing came like had some seeds of it in this book because before this book i i'd read you know the fudge series and sheila was always seen as somebody who's like uh, an annoyance right in those books right and then in this book she gets to take center stage and you know so that was it was just interesting for me to like revisit it at this at this time I feel like I could cry a little bit over that story. Thank you for sharing that. I just love the image of you and your friend with your arms around each other, whether that's literal or figurative or metaphorical or whatever. I just love it. I love what, yeah, I mean, all of it. I love the idea that you just decided that you are going to be yourselves and like live out loud. And I think that that is such like a fifth grade thing to do because it's like you rule the school right it's like before you go to middle school and you are back at the bottom of the barrel again and it is this sort of brief window before you kind of have to figure yourself out all over again oh I love that so much and I love that this book played a part in that oh that was a great story thank you for sharing Thank you. Um, but I was also like, I just remembered that like that boldness went into like, because I, I, you know, I became like, really into just like feminism, like, uh, really early on in my life. And I sometimes wonder if it was opened through what I was reading, because I remember in fifth grade being like, no boy's gonna tell me, you know, how to be or, you know, like this, like this awareness of it. And, and we did some things in class, like, to try to take them down and like we're trying to smash the patriarchy <laughs> right then. Love it, love it. And it was in, yeah, it was yeah. in the eighties, but it was like, you know, we were limited in what we could do, but we tried. And so I wonder of how much of reading Judy Bloom kind of like made that like start blossoming, you know, the the whole like, yeah, who said, you know, I can't be myself as, you know, as a 10 year old preteen girl. Like I can't be who I who I am, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what Judy does for all of us, I think. Mm -hmm. What were your other favorite Judy Bloom books? I know you said there were some others that you would have loved to talk about on the show. I'm just kind of curious, like what your general Judy experience was. I think I loved all of them. I think I read through a lot of them. But I think this, otherwise known as Sheila the Great, was the one that I kind of identified a lot with, with like her fears and not admitting them and things like that but it wasn't the more popular one of her books so you know everyone everyone loves are you there god it's me margaret but that was like i found for a different reason that i you know i appreciated that um it was just like the opening up like of things that people didn't really talk about but with this book i felt like it was more like it was more in the vein of like anne of green gables and little women and like where a girl just like 
gets to be her whole self. And uh, I loved those kind of books. Like even when I was really young, I just I loved, you know, for me, Anne was like, when I saw like permission to be to ask for love in your own flaw in flaws and all, you know, and Judy had that as well. Like Judy Bloom's books had that as well. But this book with a character that was seen, Sheila, who's seen to be this like annoyance in other books, not being seen that way. Like she has her own story. And like, I think that, yeah, that, that was why I like, I really, I really loved and um, clung to this book, but uh, yeah, but all her, all her, you know, and, and one of the things that I really found interesting coming back to reading um, otherwise known as Sheila the Great was like, I'm reading it and I'm like going, this is familiar to me, the cadence of it. And I realized it's because recently I found my um, journals, like the journals that we write in school to share with like teachers and, um, in seventh and eighth grade. And I realized I had just adopted the cadence in my own journals because I'm reading, I'm reading this. and I'm like, this is the way I used to write in my journals. Exactly. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Like, and I realized that Judy Bloom was important. Like there's authors who are important to me as a reader, but Judy Bloom is an author important to me as a writer because the freeing element in her stories allowed me to write free. And as, as like I mentioned, like a brown Muslim girl, in the 80s, uh, I didn't feel very free. Like I didn't feel like I could show all of me at school or in public as being told that I'm different, that I, you know, I'm not seeing myself, that I, I wasn't normal, like all of those things. But like the way she wrote gave me permission to write the whole of me in like, and it wasn't in fiction, it was in, you know, in nonfiction, like internal entries. But it was right. also the it was also the point where my um where you know a teacher told me that I'm a writer and that I should write like I'm really good at it and that was I think it was picking up the cadence of honesty from Judy Bloom's books Judy are you hearing this I want Judy uh, to hear this Judy Lee Judy <laughs> my dream is for Judy to listen and maybe to someday come on the show and if there was ever a story for her to hear it should be yours thank you so much again for thank sharing you. I've recorded these little love notes to Judy through different podcasts, through articles. And one day it's my hope they reach her. <laughs> You're leaving breadcrumbs for her. She's yes. going to find her way straight to you. So I do think, you know, to your point kind of about mm -hmm. the the wider Judy universe, I think it's sort of interesting because otherwise known as Sheila the Great, which is the book that we're focusing on today, it's part of the fudge universe, um, mm -hmm. which I, I forgot until I picked the book up again. And I do think that the fudge books – sort of stand apart from a lot of Judy Bloom's maybe better known titles like Are You There God? It's Me Margaret or Then Again Maybe I Won't mm -hmm. or Just As Long As We're Together. I mean, I could go on and on and listeners, I'll link a few of our Judy Bloom episodes in the show notes for this episode if you want to go catch up. But I do think that, of course, there's like an age gap. A lot of the other books focus on older kids and they delve into issues of puberty and crushes and like what is happening with my body and do I hate my mom? Like all of these very complicated right. like hormonal feelings. Whereas I think these fudge books exist in a more sort of innocent universe, a more innocent time. These kids are younger. Yes. We're not really like digging into these more complicated preteen or teen experiences. It's really very much like playground drama, which I don't mean to sound derogatory in any way or like I, th I think that that sort of drama is really important and it's really necessary to the way that like we as humans mm -hmm. learn how to interact with each other. But it is a whole different like Judy. It's a different voice. Mm -hmm. 
I just think it's really interesting because I do feel like she has these different sort of like silos of her work Mm -hmm. and otherwise known as Sheila the Great definitely stands apart from like the are you there God it's me Margaret's of the world. Yeah. And I also noticed that, like, for example, like one of her stories, Iggy's House, like I remember reading that and feeling like I was looking in on something. And now that the whole conversations about like windows and mirrors, books being either windows or mirrors, I feel like some of her books were like mirrors for me. And, you know, otherwise known as Sheila the Great is one of them, but like, and some were felt more like windows where I'm just looking in and experiencing the story kind of from like a, a little bit of a distance. And I felt that with some of her books, especially with the ones that are like with more like sexual explor- exploration and stuff, because I wasn't, you know, as a like a practicing Muslim, I didn't have those experiences as a young person yet. So I was kind of like viewing them from a distance. So there's, you know, there is that. And, th- you know, even though her teen books, there are some that I did like very much feel like it was like a mirror. I found like, I think, her earlier books came at a pivotal time in my life as well when I needed to fit in and so they helped me fit in you know and especially like and I can't find which book it this is but there was was one book and it might it might have been blubber which I know is like you know has issues of you know fat shaming and stuff that you know is is really problematic but like I remember it might have been that book where where there's a, a synagogue and there's a scene in a in a bathroom in the synagogue and i remember that book felt so much like a mirror because something about the experiences of the characters echoed my experiences in the mosque so much and i'd never ever seen that and i never seen that and i i remember i could i read one of those scenes and i was like oh my gosh I, like i saw my mosque washroom bathroom sorry it's we call it washroom in Canada, um, but bathroom and i remember like i could envision it so clearly because it's the kind of thing that happens with the muslim girls like after sunday school in our mosque and it was like the first book where i saw like a piece of muslim life in a book and I remember that vividly. And I don't, like, I think it's Blubber, but I'm not sure if that's the book that had that synagogue um, bathroom scene. But yeah, so Judy Bloom for me was like the closest mirror books, like that, that weren't Muslim. Judy. Judy. Yeah, Judy. That's really fascinating. <laughs> Judy, Judy, hear us. Are you listening? That's fascinating. I'm so I'm so happy to be hearing about your experience reading these books. And I can't wait to talk more about Otherwise Known as Sheila the Great with you. So let's set the stage for this one. It was published in 1972. Was it really? Yeah, I know. Isn't that isn't that wild? I feel like I have no sense. I feel like I have no sense of when she published her books because there are just so many of them. Right. And I'm and I'm like, really? I read a book that was from like almost 50 years ago and it didn't feel like it. Like it didn't feel like it. Okay, but here's a fun fact. Here's a fun fact about it. So they they did some reprints. So reprints mm-hmm. after 2002, I believe, they made some changes to the technology. So that oh. maybe that's why, maybe that's yeah. why it didn't feel like it was written in 1972. So, and I didn't even pick up on this either until I was doing my my little research. So you may have noticed, or I guess neither of us actually noticed, but they replaced record players with CD players in all reprints after 2002. And then this is an even more fascinating one. So there is an episode in the book with a copy machine when Sheila is at camp and she's trying to start a newspaper, which I love. And I have a whole personal story about that that I'll share later on. But 
there's this whole incident where like the copy machine at camp is broken. And so the camp counselors tell Sheila that she has to use something called a mimeograph machine. And Sheila's like, what the Mm -hmm. heck is that? Mm -hmm. And she only had to use it in the reprints because the copy machine was broken. In the original book, Mm -hmm. she only had a mimeograph machine, but they had to add a copy machine in, in the later reprints just to give like kids in the aughts some sort of like understanding of why this older tech would have to be used. So what was the older tech then? Just the mimeograph machine. They okay, only had a so, mimeograph machine. So that that worked as usual, like because in this in this version, the copy machine doesn't work, and then she has to resort to using the mimeograph machine. So I guess in that version, she just ends up using the mimeograph machine because yeah, or she, she must have to. written a little. Yeah, she must have done yeah, some more she, writing. Like she she must have yeah. thrown in, she must have thrown in a few more pages because there is this whole sort of like roller coaster ride of. Sheila trying yeah. to use a copy machine and it doesn't work. So then they introduce wow. her to this older machine. But I thought that yeah. was fascinating too. And I do think that they've done they've done this with a few Judy Bloom books to different degrees. When we did an episode about Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, my guests and I were both very bothered by the new cover of Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, which I would encourage you to take a look at if you haven't yet. So they haven't updated any of the interior content, but the cover, or at least like the new paperback cover is like text bubbles. So it's like the dot, dot, dot that you see when somebody's texting you. Oh, really? Yeah, but it's not as if the technology in the story has been updated to have text messaging. So it's super weird. So it's like kind of misleading because there's no... There's no phone use in the in the book, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Haven't there been a, a lot of different covers? I'm wondering if there was like been different iterations of covers because I've seen sometimes like people say, "Oh, now there's a new, you know, a new set of covers." And I wonder yeah, how so many, many they've gone through. Yeah. Because yeah, the one I have of otherwise known as Sheila Great is, is it seems like an update, very cartoony. Yeah, I have that one too, I think. Are they worth a lot? Like the originals? Like they must be, right? Like the original originals. Like they must, I wonder if there's like a trade on them, like a, a collectibles thing. Because I, w- I would love to see those old covers. Yeah, I would imagine the first editions are worth quite a lot. Maybe that's our in to meeting yeah. Judy. Maybe yeah. we should start like sleuthing out the first editions and we mm. should somehow stage like a publicity event. And it's yeah. like, oh, we have all of these first editions. Judy Bloom, why don't you come on over and check <laughs> them out? I think that might be our end. I know that would be that would be amazing because then I would be on this and it would be so such a hit for like people who who have experiences, early experiences with these books to just have that like revival of like what it's like to first you know to see these books again and um that would be amazing yes we could do a whole like we can, we can all i think we can even do a documentary on it i think we have some plotting to do. we have a <laughs> lot there's a lot here and i think we can get judy but yeah so that's kind of the like the history the history of this book and of course our title character is sheila sheila tubman she's 10 years old and when we meet her she is just kind of like living her new york city kid life judy bloom does this a lot where she introduces us to kids in New York City, and then she often will take them out of New York City, either permanently or temporarily. Loves like a move from a city to the suburbs. I've noticed that that's a theme in a lot of her books. I think that might have been an experience that she went through, and or I think maybe she moved 
from the city to the suburbs with her own children. I should know that for sure, but this is definitely something that she really likes to explore. But when we meet Sheila, she is like trying to avoid hanging out with Peter Hatcher from the Fudge Books and his dog because listeners... She's afraid of the dog. She's afraid of a lot of things. (laughs) And she is kind of wrestling with all of these fears. And it seems like she has a lot of them sort of under control in her normal routine in New York City. But then she finds out that she is going to be spending the summer in Terrytown, New York, which is in the suburbs. And who knows how she is going to be able to handle all of her fears and anxieties in an entirely new place and in an entirely new routine. What did you think of Sheila as you were getting back in touch with her as an adult? Did you still find that you related to her in any way? I did. I loved I loved how like she was sure of herself, like she knew these things about herself, like, you know, I'm scared of this and I'm, you know, I feel this about this and she had all those like she was in touch with her feelings and who she was, but then she was navigating that you know, how much of it do I reveal to the world? Like, you know, and I love that because reading it again, I was like, yeah, this this is why it resonated with me because I had that, those personal experiences as well. And there's one part where like she talks about, she pretends like she's allergic to dogs to not admit her fear. And it just like immediately brought to mind how I, in fourth grade, um, we had like a pizza party. And at the time there was a lot of cheeses that had like pork, like pork products in them. And we weren't, you know, as Muslims um, who observed halal, uh, we can eat them. But at school, I didn't want to admit to that. So I told everyone I was allergic to pizza. <laughs> and I remember oh, wow. like pizza's made up of so many different parts. And then first it was okay, because like people would be like, oh, she's allergic to pizza. But then after it was like somebody smart started to say, okay, but what part of the pizza, right? Because there's yeah. bread, there's cheese. There's... And I just remember being like digging like myself in a bigger hole because I was like I can't say it's bread because I tried to say it was bread but I was like but I eat sandwiches um at school for lunch and and I remember being like digging myself in and then that whole experience with where Sheila is like Mouse her friend that she meets um you know, becomes her best friend um during the summer like when Mouse pushes back she has to like kind of either go deeper or slowly as no you know spoiler alert but things come you know out slowly right and whether she likes it or not so yeah that part really resonated yeah I do think there's this thing that happens and I sort of remember it from my own childhood it's like and maybe it's different now because I just feel like kids in general are savvier in 2021 than they were in the 90s when I was growing up but I do remember there being this period where like we all learned about what it meant to be allergic to something (laughs) and it did sort of become this like convenient way Mm -hmm. to talk about things that you like didn't want to do or weren't comfortable with. And of course, in hindsight, I'm like, you shouldn't make fun of allergies because there are people who have extremely dangerous, fatal, life-threatening allergies. But I do remember, it's one of those things where I feel like when kids learn about it and they don't quite understand the extent of it, like they're kind of stretching their like mental muscles around it and trying to figure out how to like communicate in that language. And so I did think that that was really smart the way that Judy played with that idea of like, Sheila doesn't want people to know that she's afraid of dogs and Mouse introduces her to this idea of hives and what it means to get hives. And I think her little sister was maybe allergic to dogs and got hives. And so Sheila just attaches herself to that idea. And it is so much easier to explain to people why you don't want to be around a dog 
if you have allergies and they'll give you hives. But I loved how she tried to like tell her mom that, how she was like, oh, mom, I'm allergic to dogs. I get hives. And her mom was like, "Uh, no, you're not. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And and I was like laughing. I was laughing so much when um, that part when she's like, when she had that, like, you know, she had to come face to face with with the dog and her friend asked her if she got hives. She tells her that yeah, yeah, she got it all over her liver. <laughs> it just like, it was just like it was so just so funny. funny. Like it was just there's so many parts in this book where I just laughed out loud. And uh, you're right, like allergies is a serious thing and life threatening, you know, for some people. And but you know when you're when you're a child and you you don't know the gravity of the situation and you're trying to like make it work for you, you you know you obviously like reach for those things that make yourself seem okay, you know, or like a lot of like a lot of Sheila's thing is trying to be like seen as normal, right? Well, and I think, you know, it's interesting because throughout the course of the book, we find out that Sheila is afraid of a lot of things. It's not just dogs. Mm -hmm. She's afraid Mm -hmm. of storms. She's afraid of really anything loud, Mm -hmm. especially in the middle of the night. She thought that it was going to be really great to have her own bedroom while they were in this bigger house for the summer, but she's actually kind of afraid of sleeping by herself. She's afraid of the fact that she's living in Terrytown, where Washington Irving wrote The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and so now she's afraid of the Headless Horseman. She's afraid of swimming. She has all of these fears, and something that I found that I had to be really mindful of while I was reading, because I think it's something I have a tendency to do on the podcast, but also in life. Like I just I think the language that we use to talk about things now is so different, and I, I really had to resist the urge to sort of like pathologize her fears because I think it's yeah. really easy in 2021 to be like she has anxieties mm-hmm. because that's the language that we use. But I think right. this isn't that category of Judy Bloom books, you know, like maybe mm. that in that other category of Judy Bloom books, we'd be talking about a kid who maybe did need to see a therapist. And I'm, you know, number one at the front of like the pro therapy parade. I just had therapy today and it was great. I think therapy is great, but I, I think that I often – as part of this podcast, I'm very quick to like pathologize things or contextualize things in a very 2021 vernacular. And I Mm -hmm. don't think that this category of Judy Bloom books is really trying to do that. I think I had to remind myself throughout this book that like kids are just afraid of things. And that's like normal Mm -hmm. part of being a kid and of growing up and you just kind of have to get through them. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have anxieties. It just means that you're scared and you're learning your way around the world. Right. Yeah. And I, and I I think that's Judy Bloom's kind of like, you know, even though these books are different from her other books, you know, taking part in this um, fudge world, it still has their signatory like frankness and like the characters just share who they are and and in all all of their fears and all of their trepidations and all of their like flaws. Right. And so, yeah, I think looking at it from this vantage point of where we ha- we have some more understandings of like different issues and struggles that people go through, including young people. Like it is easy to like see what's happening or think that we see what's happening, but it's, it's not presented in that way. It's, it's more like just uh, again, just like seeing the whole person includes seeing their fears, you know? So I think, I, I think that's what I really appreciate about her books and all of, all of her books that openness that she often gets challenged for, you know, her books get challenged for, right, as well. Like, but people want to ban that, right? Right. Leave Judy alone. Yes. 
So there are a few like key things that happen when they move to Terrytown. And I think we should start just with like day camp. So Sheila is going to day camp. That's where she meets Mouse, who we've mentioned before. Mouse, who is really into the yo-yo. And I can't tell you the last time I even thought of a yo-yo. So just being reminded of like being a kid. Yeah having a yo-yo, wanting so desperately to be good at yo-yo. Like I really wanted to know how to do yo-yo tricks and I just like could never do any of them. And so that was just like a fun piece of nostalgia. Um, She meets Mouse. They get really into pottery, which I thought was so cute because yeah. that's totally like the activity that I would have picked at yeah. a day camp. I went to a day camp like this too, where there were all these activities. And I have to talk about the incident that I sort of referenced earlier with the copy machine and the mimeograph because – Sheila decides that her big contribution to camp is going to be a newspaper. And I think I've talked about this in the podcast before. I can't be sure. Mm -hmm. But when I was in third grade, I took it upon myself to start a class newspaper. Oh, yeah. And I'm not sure that I read this book, or I guess I, w I wasn't sure if I'd read Otherwise Known as Sheila the Great before I opened it up again before you and I spoke. And then I got to that part and I was like, oh, I must have read this. I mm. must have read this. And this must have had something to do with my idea to start a class newspaper. And not only did I start a – How did it go? It Well, very much like Sheila, I decided yeah. that I was going to do it all myself. Mm -hmm. And very much like Sheila, I think we did one issue because I, w I didn't want any help. I thought all of, you know, all of the mean boys in my class were going to mess it up. I was convinced that I had to do it my way. And that it, that is kind of like the lesson that Sheila learns, right? Yeah. Because Mouse wants to help her and like everybody else thinks it's cool, but she thought of it and she wants to take full responsibility, which is something that I fall victim to a lot, even as an adult. Mm -hmm. And the sort of hilarious ending is that she ends up just like passing it off to these two boys yeah. who probably were like the equivalent of the mean boys in my class who I thought were going to ruin my precious newspaper because she it's too much for her to do on her own. Wow. Yeah. So the book kind of gave you permission as well if, if you did read it right like at that time. And but it does give you that like sense that you can do you know you can do what you want you know like that was kind of your moment of like confidence to to do something right. You know, I noticed that also, like with I think with the I think um, I I don't I don't want to like make a generalized statement, but I noticed also for my daughter at a certain age, like wanting to do um, she called it a kids' town paper. All she wanted for Eid um, one year it was a typewriter because she wanted to put these newspapers out. And I think it's like I think, and I'm wondering now. I'm going to ask her, did you read otherwise? She known as Sheila the Great at this time because it it like there there are certain things that gives you like this like permission to like embark on what you what you want to do, right? Like what you see is it might be cool or you know. And I wonder if if these you know if that was something that yeah, because she actually my daughter kept it up for like a little while, like printing out these little, but her papers were really tiny. So it didn't have like, when, when I read about Sheila's experience, I was like, that's a lot of information. Yeah, I mean, she was reporting stories. She was doing all of these different like fact finding missions. They were they had cartoons, like she had so many different things going on. And the, and the counselor's feet. That was like really yes. funny. And also the babar, like she, you know, she observed something about uh, one of the, the boys in her pottery class. And I thought that was really that was really funny, like that um, Mouse and her called him like this little cute name, you know. 
to themselves. And it wasn't like, you know, they weren't bullying him, but it was like between themselves. And it was just, yeah, it, it brought a lot of, you know, for me to keep memories, you know, just having that freedom. Yeah. Yeah, I think I really just love like the ownership that she took. And I appreciated that even more as an adult, because I think, assuming that I read it as a kid, and I now am because it just seems, it seems like I must have given the fact that I did this. I think when I was a kid, I probably was just fascinated by the fact that she had found a way to be a writer, because I, like you, learned fairly early in life that I was a good writer, and I wanted to figure out how to do that more. But when I read this as an adult, what I'm most fascinated with is the fact that like Sheila at 10 years old figured out a way to really take ownership of something. Yeah, she wasn't she afraid to ask the adults there. Yeah, she made it happen. She wasn't afraid to ask the adults around her to help her. Like mm-hmm. in so many ways, she's so nervous. And I think we we get throughout the book this like there's two versions of her, which she talks about. Like inside, she knows that she's really scared of a lot of things. And then outside, she's trying to project this confidence. And I think Throughout a lot of the book, it was really easy for me to see even in her like outward presentation of herself that she was sort of like faking it. But I think that this was one instance with starting the paper, even though it only lasted for a day or two, like that was one of the instances that her like outward confidence, that version of herself like really felt authentic. And I was like, okay, you're not faking it. Like you actually do have the ability to take this kind of ownership and be bold and brave and do your own thing. And so I like, I really like that because I think there were moments where I was like, I don't know, this whole like interior exterior thing wasn't always ringing true for me as an adult. But in that moment, I was like, okay, like I'm getting it. This works for me. Yeah. What did you think of, um, that that whole um because I, I remember reading the part about you know the slam book and that brought memories like the slam book is the part where um you know they're having a sleepover and mouse brings up this idea of of writing the truth about the four friends gathered like everybody writes one thing about the others then each of them gets the sheet of paper and they read it you know turned away from each other so that they don't see their emotions of learning the truth of what people, what their friends think of them. And when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, like uh, a bad memory came to me because I remember doing this with, with friends after we read this and we talked about it. it was, somebody brought it up and it also made us all upset at each other. And like that whole thing about like your friends, but you still have to navigate emotions and friendship and not like the honesty goes so much, right? And so did you, did that ping anything for you? Did you ever try something like that? Like, Yeah, so I didn't try anything like that. I did, I did pull out the quote from Mouse because I do think it's interesting, like the way she phrases this idea. So she says, you see, we'd never be brave enough to just sit around and tell each other the truth about ourselves. That would be too embarrassing. But since everybody wants to know what other people really think of them, this is an easy way to find out. You can start with me if you want. I'll go stand in the hall and you fill in the list. Later, when we've all had our chance, we get to read about ourselves in private. And I was just really fascinated with this because I didn't have any experience like this when I was a kid. Like this was never something that like came up. And so I'm thinking like, okay, what are like, what do we stand to gain from this? Like, what's the goal? And it is reminiscent of the movie Mean Girls Mm. and what happens with the burn book, especially even like the aftermath. So after they Mm. all like read the slam book 
about each other. And I, I bookmarked that page and I'll share some of the quotes from that, even though they're deeply upsetting and weird. After they all read the slam books, it's like mass chaos in the house. They start destroying all these like model planes and like model, I don't know, trucks, like all kinds of models that are in this room where Sheila is staying for the summer. They start like, it's just chaos, which is exactly what happens in the movie Mean Girls after the burn book gets out. It almost seemed like too similar. Yeah. <laughs> no shade to Tina Fey, but I was like, this seems like a few too many, a few too So no, I didn't have an experience like this, but I don't know. It was so harsh, especially for 10-year-olds. And maybe I was just like kind of naive. Yeah. But I did I did want to share like some of the things that were written. I'm sorry if um if you're hearing any page turning listeners. So the categories that they had in on the list were hair, face, body, brain, best thing, worst thing in general. Like these are the categories. So these are the things that people wrote about Sheila. They say that her hair is parted, crooked, should grow longer, and much too long. Which, like, those last two ones, I'm like, welcome to being a woman. Like, your hair is both too long and also should grow longer. Like, this is, you know, it's, you're too fat, you're too skinny. It's, you're all, it's, yeah. never, it's never quite right. Face, ugly but lovable. Weird eyebrows. Gruesome. Like, uh, some friends you have. Yeah. Body, skin and bones. Ugly feet. It's like, it's just harsh. It's so harsh. Large, yeah. 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 Especially the body parts, because I, I, I know like that, the like, you know, for there's like some issues of body shaming in the book. And so even though Sh- Sheila was, you know, because they body shamed one of the other girls for being fat. And then now Sheila's like, she's too skinny. So yeah, like you said, there's like that this comes out like this, this judging of women like in this in this way of either like by their weight well and then under her brain her brain is interesting because they wrote thinks it knows it all and overused and I do appreciate the fact that after Sheila like sort of processes all of this she does seem to recognize that like it's pretty cool that they wrote those things about her brain like she's like okay it was kind of mean that they said that stuff about the way that I look but like yeah, my brain knows it all. Like I sort of, it was cool that she had the presence of mind to realize that, that she could yeah. brush some of those other things off. But like, she's, you know, she's interesting and she's smart and she's always thinking. Right. I love that too, that when she comes to that realization that that's good, like that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to have, you know, to be somebody who uses their brain. I love that part as well. Yeah. And, the and you know, realizing that people thought she was an interesting person. Yeah. Like, those are all like kind of like like when you're reading it and you're a kid and you're like you're also trying to figure those things out and getting that per- like I, I, I use the word permission a lot when I'm talking because when I sometimes think about why do I always say oh that let me or that allowed me or that gave me permission is because I didn't feel that sense of like freedom of permission being like you know um, marginalized you know young person so these kind of things actually were very freeing you know to see the processing of of a character coming to the realization that it's okay you know to be a thinker it's okay to be like this you know yeah the slam uh, the slam book was upsetting and that but they got over it really quickly which at first I sort of yeah. wanted like a little bit more pushback from them because I was like I feel like you girls should work this out a little bit more but I guess it speaks to like the innocence and sort of the beauty of childhood friendship which is that like somebody tells you to be honest in a slam book and you're like okay I was honest in the slam book like what else did yeah. you want me to do I just followed the instructions and then afterward everybody's feelings are hurt for a minute 
And then they're like, right, but we were honest. We just followed the instructions. And then they're pulling a prank on an older sister and everything is sort of back to normal. So I do think that that's pretty authentic to the way that young friendships tend to work. And I don't know why I couldn't stop laughing at the when they teamed up uh, against the sisters. Like, it was just like when they said, blah, blah, blah. Like, it was just so funny because it's the whole like, you know, yeah, getting over something so quickly because you, you realize it's you against these other, you know, like the older, the, the older siblings or, you know, so it was, it was just, yeah, so I love that as well. Like that, that like, it captured that the way that, you know, when you're young, you can move on. But again, like, maybe, you know, afterwards, you see that, you know, they, they're still, there's still issues, like, there's, they're, they're gonna have it's not, and I love that about Judy Bloom's books, like, because I was like, I forgot how this ended. And I don't know if we can talk about the ending yet. Um, can we know? Yeah. Or? Yeah, sure. it, and I, if we and want to. Yeah, I'd forgotten how, you know, as I was reading, I was like, I remembered some parts of it that came back to me. And then I was like, how does this end? And I love the fact that she doesn't end things so neatly. And, you know, not everything gets like solved. And it's just like one or two things that, that like, that there's a transformation in. But like, I love that as a writer seeing that because that's something I grapple with as a writer, like how to end my books in a way that's satisfying for young readers. And so seeing, oh, you know, I loved her books and she ends them on a note of like, everything's not fixed, you know, there's still, Sheila's still going on like with some of her struggles, you know? So that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. She still has a lot to figure out. Her big victory though is the swimming. And you yes. talked about how you were laughing out loud about the prank. I think we I think we both probably laughed out loud a lot throughout the book. I laughed a lot in almost all of the swimming scenes and almost all of her interactions with her swimming teacher, Marty, who I thought was a great character. And just the way that she banters with him and she's constantly making excuses for herself, like why she can't swim, why she won't swim, why her like bathing cap isn't there. Um, and his patience with her is just really great. Like I, I like to think that Marty went on to become a teacher and then a principal. Like he really like knows how to work with kids because he was just so patient with her every step of the way. And he is the one who finally gets her to admit that she's afraid because yeah. all summer she's just making up excuses for her new friends to explain why she doesn't do certain things, sort of leaning on the fact that she's from elsewhere. And so she's like, oh, well, in New York, we don't do that. Like that's for babies. So I don't do X, Y, Z. But she finally admits to Marty that she's afraid of swimming. And that's a that's a really big deal. It's a pretty cool conversation that they have. He says to her, do you realize this is the first time you've been honest with me? Because she says she doesn't want to put her head in the pool. And Marty says, you finally admitted it. You're scared. That's the first step in the right direction. From now on, everything will be a snap. And then the big sort of climactic moment of the book is her swim test. Mm-hmm. And I so remember having to take swim tests when I was a kid and it was so stressful and I was a good swimmer, but I still found swim tests very stressful because they were so public and it just always made me nervous. And the treading water thing was really scary because again, like I was a strong swimmer, but I was like, I don't know how long I can tread water. And then like the cool girls from school are, you know, eating popsicles on the swim deck and it's just very overwhelming. So I can't even imagine if you're a kid that's afraid of water, what that would feel like, but she pulled it off. It's, and it's a really like, you really root for her. And it's cool because her friends are cheering her on and Marty's coaching her. And like, I really felt like I was cheering her on in that scene too. 
Yeah, and that's like her real, like, um, that's the, you know, as a writer, um, when I'm reading it, I'm like, yeah, there's the, you know, the completion of the character arc, right? Like Marty getting her to to admit, you know, her fears and start to realize that you address them by bringing them out. So yeah, I love I love that as well. And it, yeah, you really root for her the whole way. And I, you know, I felt her like lungs, like, I'm like, no, she can't do this. I was like, I remember, I remember the feeling of like, you can't and um, you feel like you can't, but then she does. The only thing with the Marty part that like gave me a bit of pause now is like the boundarylessness. Did you, did you have that kind of feeling of like, oh, when he just grabbed her and kissed her and like, that oh, like yeah. I, know, I know he did it as like you know uh yeah. but like that now like reading yeah now, yeah made me a little bit like I think like I missed I, I feel like that got like lost for me and like the whirlwind of the victory but I think that's an excellent point yeah so I felt like when I read it now as and I'm, I was like you know probably I wouldn't I wouldn't have even like picked it up before but now I did because I was like oh yeah, I don't know if that could happen. Like, I don't not that could, but it should, or, you know, it would happen now. Like, just that part, like, yeah, was, was, uh, was as, as a reader now, I, it really stood out for me. Yeah, personally. But yeah, I, yeah, I love, I love that, that the whole arc was complete there. And then, and then the dogs and how she gets that, like, you know, idea, maybe, you know, maybe dogs were going to be, yeah. Because the dog whose name is Jennifer, which I'm I'm obsessed with the fact that the dog's name is Jennifer. <laughs> yes. Jennifer's so pregnant. And so, because she gets a boyfriend, which yeah. I also love, just this kind of like B-plot that like in the middle of the night, Jennifer's boyfriend, who we find out is named Mumford, has been coming over to hang out with her. And I just loved this like little secret dog yeah. romance. And at the end of the book, Sheila's like, yeah, maybe, well, we could maybe get one of those puppies because the, yeah. the owner, Jennifer's owners offered them one of the puppies. And for most of the book, she was like, oh, no, we're not getting a dog. But yeah, I just loved, I loved where we ended with her because like you said, she's not like suddenly the most brave girl, but she she's accepted where she is. And like she knows that she's not the best swimmer, but she knows that she can swim. And she knows that she's not like totally not afraid of dogs, but she knows that maybe they could get a dog if she worked on it a little bit longer. So I felt like it was a really nice ending. And I'd love to know on the whole, if you felt that otherwise known as Sheila the Great held up for you based on your memories of reading it as a kid or if it let you down? Oh, no, it held up. Definitely it held up. I think also like reading it like in the beginning when I started to read it, I was like, I was like, oh, wow, I'm empathizing with the parents a lot like in the beginning as a, you know, as a parent myself. And I was like, oh, am I going to be able to like get into Sheila's headspace? Because I was like, oh, you know, when the parents had to navigate the the different responses of their kids and the personalities and juggle that all and then be accused of like taking sides I, I was like oh my gosh I feel for you parents and then I was like oh no am I going to be able to you know appreciate this book from Sheila's vantage point and I did like immediately like as she got into Terrytown and everything like it just put me back to when I was a kid and like the feelings just came back and it just yeah it definitely holds up um but just if I was if I was giving it to my niece or something I would talk about the issues that I did see around like fat shaming and everything that young girls and just any young readers would like need to kind of like you know talk about to to make sure that the the sentiments expressed there doesn't um sink in and affect their self-worth you know so yeah 
it wasn't in a, I, I don't know if it was like in a mean spirit way, but it was just kind of like the times of like the thinking, prevalent thinking of the time, you know, was, yeah, was reflected there. So it's different. Was, yeah, it was different. And I think that's come up in almost every Judy Bloom book we've talked about on the podcast, interestingly. So if I had if I had to make like a constructive suggestion for Judy, although you're generally perfect to Judy if you're listening. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of just sort of body shaming in general. And this book, we do get the fat shaming, but we also have a lot of instances where Sheila is like skinny shaming her older sister and and talking about how she looks like a skeleton. So of course, like not to say that one is any better than the other, because of course, they're both problematic and damaging. But it is interesting how I do think that like Judy Bloom definitely has this tendency to have her characters commenting on each other's bodies, either in dialogue or just in their inner thinking. So I, I agree with that. The other note that I wanted to make um, in response to your sort of summary of your experience rereading this book is that I read a few posts from book bloggers who reread otherwise known as Sheila the Great, just like you and I did. And something that I noticed in a few of those reviews was that people talked about how they actually don't remember loving this book when they were growing up, but that they really loved it as adults because they felt like Sheila resonated with them so much more as grownups. They talked about how like They think that when they were kids, it seems just sort of like this boring account of like a sort of annoying little girl's summer, but how as adults, they're able to sort of see that she's like a little bit more complicated and they they like get her more. So I think that that actually like hit a chord with me. Yeah. Wow. I I didn't realize that because I'm like, I remember liking it so much. I remember uh, like I, you know, told you before that it gave me this like freeing feeling, which is really interesting because yeah, and yeah, and it, it was the, it was a, a Judy Bloom book that gave me that um, feeling and that the others gave me different, you know, experiences, but this one gave me this, this permission feeling. And yeah, so it's interesting that people appreciated it when they were adults um, more. And uh, whereas I felt like I felt kind of the same, like I'm reading it now. And I'm like, yeah, this is empowering. Like, I just kind of felt in like the same feeling of empowerment. I felt it throughout the reading and after, like it's okay to be yourself. Well, I'm glad that that you had that experience again. I enjoyed reading it too. And I, I can see how it might resonate more with certain adults maybe than it did when they were growing up. But other than otherwise known as Sheila the Great, have you been reading anything else lately that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, so I have these like reading seasons, I call it, like when I'm like reading a lot, and intensely. And then when I'm writing, when I'm on deadline and I'm doing book release promo and stuff like that, I, I just read very, like I read articles or short pieces and stuff um, more, but I can give you like this one, like series that I fell in love with during the pandemic, which is the Truly Devious series by Maureen Johnson, because it took me out of a slump. I had like, because my, it was my reading season again, meaning that I just turned in a manuscript last year and I was like, now I can read, yay. But I, I kept trying different things and I wasn't like, it wasn't it wasn't starting for me. And then my niece told me, oh, hey, did you try, you know, Truly Devious? And, and it's like a mystery. It's like a mystery, but it's a, um, it's a YA mystery series. And it has the typical whodunit kind of structure with this teen detective. And I found that really, really like refreshing because there's like teen thrillers and mysteries, but you know, they're like, you know, kids figuring it out. And they're kind of thrust into like the role, but in Truly Devious, like the main character who is, who takes the detective role 
how she wants to be a detective. Like she's interested and she has that background of like studying it on her own and stuff as a teen. So like, I, I love that. So I recommend that. And I fell in love with it. And the n- next one's coming out. There's a fourth book coming out. Yes. So Maureen is on. So you and I are recording this in mid-June and Maureen is on the podcast next week. So um, oh my God, June 15th. Give her a little love lo- note for me as well. <laughs> yeah, I'll sneak one over. So the Box in the Woods comes out on June 15th, yes. which is the same day that her episode drops. And my husband also fell in love with Truly Devious over the pandemic. He too yeah. was in a bit of a reading rut and he doesn't really read YA, but he stumbled on this series and he just like devoured it. So yeah. um, that's so funny that you had the same yeah. experience, but yeah, so uh, I'll I'll see if I can get your note over to Maureen and I'll let her know that that yeah she helped you out of a rut. But I know you also have a new book out in the world, Misfit in Love, which is the follow-up to Saints and Misfits. Is there anything that you want to share with our SSR community about the new book or about the book that comes before it? Yeah, so Saints and Misfits was my debut novel and it was about she was a 15-year-old named Jenna Yusuf who was who's um who sees the world in terms of like her world the people in her world is either saints, misfits, or a monsters. And the monster comes from her experience being assaulted, sexually assaulted by um, someone who's seen as like a really important, like special member of her community, uh, her Muslim community. So while it deals with a traumatic kind of topic, it uh, I wrote it in a very kind of light way, meaning that Jenna Yusuf is very kind of like, open with the the different aspects of her life and life goes on simultaneously. So she has this crush on this guy at school and doesn't know how to navigate that. And there's lots of little things happening in her life. And so the book ended and I readers kept asking me like, is she okay? Is she, you know, like she ended, ended on a good note for her, but they wanted to see if she got together with this guy that she had met in the book and everything. So I wrote Misfit in Love in response to all the reader queries about her and um, I set this book to a joyous wedding weekend of her older brother. Her older brother gets married, and it's a wedding by the lake, her father's lake house. And it's just um, it's just full of like joy. But Jenna is also grappling with different things um, that enter her life, including three boys that she has to navigate over the wedding weekend. Ooh. And uh, if you look up the cover, if you look at the cover, Misfit in Love, it's like Jenna, and then um, and then three boys like making like an I love square on the cover. And sometimes people are like, oh, love triangles, love squares are overdone. But a Muslim girl in a love square, like, come on, give us a try. Like give us, you know, a chance to to tell these stories from these these perspectives, you know? So that's what this is. And I hope um, people pick it up, especially if you like Judy Bloom, because um, somebody said they thought that my writing was Judy Bloom meets Jacqueline Woodson. So Ooh. that's my little spiel to get you to pick it up. That's a great compliment. Well, I absolutely adore the cover of Misfit and Love. And listeners, we're going to be giving away some copies over on SSR's Instagram this week if you're listening in real time. So go on over and check that out. Wednesday of this week, I'll probably be running that giveaway. I really love the cover so much. When they came to my house, I just I just oh. sat back and looked at them for a few minutes because they're so beautiful. And I'm so excited for you. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. I really appreciate you being here and just sharing like so many personal stories too. Um, it was a lot of fun. So thank you so much. And you and I have a lot of Judy Bloom conspiring to do. So we're gonna have to stay in touch. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. I loved I love being on the show. I love talking about just these books and um, other books with you. Thank you so much.
Thank you. Bye. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.